At Bet365, we don't do ordinary. We believe that every sport should be epic. Every basket, every game, every point, every play. From the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar. Whether it's a three-pointer at the buzzer to tie the game or a player that goes two for two at the foul line. Whatever the sport, whatever the moment. It's never ordinary at Bet365. 21 plus only. Must be present in Virginia. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. Terms and conditions apply. Hello and welcome to the Two Robbies podcast. Your destination for in-depth discussion and analysis of the Premier League, the Champions League and the Europa League. I'm Robbie Earl, and as for Robbie Musto, we sent him off a, a vacation. So today, I'm joined by legendary commentator Andros Cantor. Andros and I will be calling the Manchester united Aston Villa game this Saturday, 7.30 Eastern Time on Peacock. So no better time to have Telemundo's lead commentator join us to discuss not only the Premier League, but his roots in broadcasting the most memorable moments from his broadcasting career, his thoughts on Lionel Messi and his home country Argentina and their chances in next year's World Cup. That's what we've got coming up on today's episode with Andros Cantor. Andros, I'd have to say it's an absolute pleasure to um, invite you onto the Two Robbies podcast. You sit there, um, football royalty, I, I, I would say, in, in many ways. Um it's great to have you. It's great to maybe talk a little bit about career, your thoughts on the game, your thoughts on Argentinian football. But um, have you seen football, the return of football and the fans back in the stadium? It, it must warm your heart to, to, to see those scenes again. Well, Robbie, thank you so much for your accolades and, and thank you for, for having me on, on your podcast. Um, yeah, it's, it's definitely uh, great to see fans back in the stadiums in the Premier League. I mean, uh, we... We got used to calling games uh, with nobody uh, and empty stadiums. And I always take something positive out of that is that we could listen to everything that players and coaches said or most everything. And now, obviously, with the deafening sounds of the crowds, we can't anymore. But it is definitely uh, so welcoming to, to see fans back in the stadiums, not not only because of the atmosphere they bring, obviously, but because it it kind of says that we're almost over the hump of uh, this, you know, long, almost two years uh, of the pandemic. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, some of the scenes we, we, we've seen, I think the connection back between football and the fans is so, so important. And, and as you say, certainly in the Premier League, we've seen that in the first five weeks. We're, we're currently celebrating Hispanic Heritage Month uh, as we record this episode. So, Andres, you're no better example of someone who's a proud Hispanic heritage, born and raised in Argentina. Just tell us what that means to you and your roots growing up there. Well, um you know, I feel very much Argentinian, even though I lived in the U.S. Uh, now for more than 43, 44 years. And I lived in Argentina until I was 15 only and I moved uh, to this country. But uh, obviously, my parents being from Argentina, my, I have family, friends, and obviously a, a huge emotional and sentimental link uh, to Argentina. And it's great to to be able to say that, you know, I'm a Hispanic American, that, you know, I love the U.S. as as much as I love Argentina. And obviously Argentina is in my blood, will always always be. 
And uh, when it comes to World Cups, believe me, uh, I, like probably everybody else, uh, goes really crazy and uh, about its national team. And, uh, you know, Argentina will always be my team. Uh, I coined the phrase uh, way back in 1994 uh, for the U.S. national team. I called it La Selección de Todos, which uh, translates into everyone's national team because I thought, Robbie, that uh, besides the national team of our country of origin, uh, everyone else should be rooting for the U.S. national team because what this country has given us all that, you know, live here. So, um, you know, I'm obviously a very proud uh, Argentinian. Um, my Argentinian accent in Spanish, they tell me, has diluted it a little bit, uh, but still, you know, working in, in Spanish television, you have to be uh, neutral uh, in the words you choose because ov obviously every country, uh, even though we speak the same language, speaks differently. But definitely, uh, I mean, very proud to, to be celebrating Hispanic Heritage Month, saying that I'm a very proud Argentinian-American. It's interesting in, in your, the roots of, of obviously starting in Argentina, and I'm interested in how, as, as a young boy growing up, I all I really wanted to do was be a footballer at five, six, seven years of age. I'm out there playing with my friends and, and, and getting in the street and eventually got picked up by a club and went on to have a, a, a reasonable career in the professional game. But how do you get started as a broadcaster, how and when did you first realise you wanted to be a play-by-play -play commentator? And, and how did you kind of get into that world from a young child to, to where you sit today, one of, one of the, the biggest names in, in broadcasting? It's funny because obviously we had the same ambition. Uh, <laughs> I, I mean, and we went through exactly the same uh, childhood. I wanted to be a player. The mm. difference is that you got picked up by a club and I didn't. Uh, and I went to a tryout. Uh, I was, I believe I was 10 or 11. They put me on the field. There were, I don't know, there were hundreds of kids trying out that day. Um, they put me on the field, I believe, for 11 minutes. They put me at left back. I didn't choose where to play. They put me at left back. Uh, I'm very right-footed. Uh, <laughs> and not because I was that bad that they took me out 11 minutes after the fact, um, but it was because there were so many kids trying out and there were, you know, there was uh, not enough time. So I didn't get picked up. I played, uh, you know, once I moved here, I played my last year in high school. The joke goes around that after college, I went to USC, the University of Southern California, yeah. LA. Uh, the joke that I always throw around is that the MLS didn't exist and I didn't have anywhere else to go, <laughs> which is not true. <laughs> <laughs> so anyways, I played as much as I could. Um, and I always say, Robbie, that uh, journalists, sports journalists at least, yeah. we're all frustrated uh, <laughs> athletes uh, in yeah. whatever you know sport we cover. In my case, mm -hmm. I would have died to play a minute with my team mm -hmm. in Argentina, Boca Juniors, or with, with any professional team. Um, and it's funny because I studied print journalism at USC. I, okay. I liked writing and I began yeah. writing. I, I began my career writing about soccer not that often. I was the correspondent for 
uh, a big editorial conglomerate in Argentina that published several magazines. So they sent me to cover the Oscars, uh, boxing matches in Vegas. I covered Ali. I covered uh, Sugar Ray Leonard. I, I covered the biggest fights there were. Uh, I wrote about politics, economics, nothing that I knew too much about, but I wrote anyways. Mm -hmm. and there wasn't that much soccer in Southern California. And I was about to go back home uh, uh, to Argentina because, you know, I love, I mean, my life is soccer, football. And uh, I was lucky enough to get a call for an audition uh, by Univision way back then. They told me, bring two suits, two <laughs> shirts and two ties. Okay. So they put me to do color commentary in the first match. We take a break. We go to lunch. Uh, the, the person that ended up being my boss says, you know, I can tell you know a lot about the game, but, and, you know, after the comma, after the but, I was waiting for him to say, thank you very mm -hmm. much, you know, go back home. Mm -hmm. And he says, do you think you can do play-by? We're looking for a play-by-play, -play, man. Do you think you can do play-by-play -play the next game? This is February of 1987. And, you know, I was 23. Mm -hmm. Well, I was going to tell him, No. Yeah. I have the music of of listening and growing up listening to the radio because I, I don't know how it was in England, but in Argentina, yeah. we went to the stadium with the little transistor radio glued to our ears. Yeah. Um, so uh, really, I had, you know, the rhythm, but I had never done it before. Uh, as a matter of fact, I had never stepped in a television studio, inside a television studio in my life. And then I called the, that second game. And I guess he, he liked the way I called it and called me. He called me like a, a week or 10 days later to offer me a full-time job. So that's how my play-by-play -play career got started. So as a youngster, um, I remember watching many World Cups and, and the likes of Maradona, um, probably Cruyff, Platini, more latterly the Brian Robson of England. And those were the players I watched. Those were the players that, that took me to another and, and, and gave me dreams and ambitions. What were the players who influenced you through your sort of early love of football and then maybe into your broadcasting career? Well, um, through the broadcasting career, I have to make a, a differentiation that I have Maradona way up here. I mean, Maradona to me is God. Yeah. Football God. Um, I haven't seen uh, nobody better than him. Not even Messi, not even Cristiano. They're great, yeah. absolute great players. Uh, but the goal to me is uh, Maradona. Uh, you mm -hmm. have to understand, I mean, you understand better than anyone that Diego played in an era where football was totally different than it is yeah. today. Today, you mm -hmm. put a hand on Cristiano, he stops shrugging. <laughs> you, put, you, know, you put the shirt on, uh, on Messi, they call a foul immediately. Diego withstood the most vicious tackles, fouls, etc. throughout his career. Um, he made Napoli, you know, he put Napoli uh, basically in the Italian and European map it would be unfair to say single-handedly he did have some good players, but I mean that was a very modest uh, yeah. team that you know he uh, put on the map by winning the the scudettos and and the UEFA uh, league. 
and uh, for the national team, he won the World Cup. Yeah. And in Argentina, there is uh, it, it, it's sometimes I, I really think it's it's unfair, but the make or break uh, thing that that we go by is the the World Cup. And, and yeah. they won the World Cup, and uh, Messi just now won his first title with the Argentinian national team shirt. So, uh, you know, he, even though he didn't influence my career, I mean, I covered him, I was there with him, I, I knew him personally, uh, I was there with him when he won the two Italian leagues, I was there with him in Mexico, very close to him during the Mexico World Cup. So he is definitely the one that uh, obviously had a big influence in, in my career because I, had, I was lucky enough to enjoy him in his prime. And then, you know, growing up, uh, obviously, I, I caught the last of Johan Cruyff. Uh, Johan Cruyff, I have a picture that is in my book, which is totally crazy. I was in my last year in high school in San Marino, uh, California, which is right mm -hmm. below Pasadena, where the Aztecs play, and I'm jogging along. I'm, you know, 17 jogging along, mm -hmm. and I see Johan with his two dogs walking his two dogs. I say, "Wait, is <laughs> Johan Christ. So I, I, uh, I went to see him play. Uh, obviously, mm -hmm. uh, you know, at uh, at the Rose Bowl. I even mm -hmm. went to San Diego for the final uh, of the Aztecs way way back then. And, um, you know, I, I enjoyed him. I remember the, you know, sneaking out of school in the 1974 final to watch Germany against Holland. Um, and then there were, you know, all the great players, like you say, Platini. I mean, I enjoyed, uh, I enjoy good players, whether they're yeah. superstars or, or not. I mean, yeah. I, I really mm -hmm. do love it. Yeah, it's, um, Privilege that you 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 know and have seen such such great players from, from the past. I just want to move forward in terms of as a player uh, and some of those great players. We you know we have the Cruyff turn, and we've seen how Maradona could just eliminate defenders on a dribble with his speed and his power. And Ronaldo's today more the, the, the goal celebrations and, and the athletic leaps he does. So, are players generally. It, from the past and in modern days, have signature moves that are known to them. You have a signature call, which is known to you, the goal celebration. Where did that come from? Where did that come from? How did it start? And, 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 and what was the basis of, uh, of bringing it to, to the world of football? Well, I always say, Robbie, that I didn't invent anything, really. Uh, that is uh, the way most Latin American football announcers call the goals. They call it the same way as I do. Uh, there was obviously a, a breaking point in my career, which was the 1994 World Cup that was played here mm -hmm. in the U.S. Uh, my work got a lot of attention, and uh, we pretty much put Univision uh, on the map, on the, on the general market map, if you will, because... Even though ABC was broadcasting that World Cup, you know we were getting the the biggest ratings, um, and it was it was crazy to think that I've called three World Cups in television for Univision, and I was the only play-by-play -play announcer. So technically, I called uh, fifty-eight 
of the 64 matches in three World Cups in a row because I couldn't call, obviously, the, the games that were played simultaneously in the last fixture of, of uh, group play. So I was lucky enough to be, uh, I guess, in the, uh, the right time, in the, in the right place at the right time uh, because of the attention my work was getting. And uh, I, I don't do it, you know, as a, as a gimmick. I don't do it. It just comes out naturally because that's the way we feel for the game in, in Spanish. Um, I know in English it's a little bit more subdued uh, mm. as a commentary, uh, but, you know, we go like, we give in ourselves a, a lot. We put too too much emotion sometimes into mm-hmm. a soccer match. It's like life and death for us, you know, it's like, yeah. especially when the national teams play. Uh, yeah. So that's it's the way... Goals are special moments, aren't they? I mean, for all that, you know, you train, you work hard. Sometimes one goal can decide a game. And I think it should be celebrated in many respects. It should be something that people, you know, it's not a lot of the American sports where a score can be 95, 94. I mean, one or two goals often is going to decide the game. So I think that it, it, it's fitting that you do that. I just wondered in terms of, at times it's almost like a... a, a a, a theatrical act and, and you, you're projecting that voice like a baritone or a tenor. Do you have to take care of the voice? Do you, do you have to do any voice exercise, anything to, to, to make sure you can still not, deliver? Uh, not really. I mean, I have my exercises. Usually during the World Cup, I, I, I do take care of the voice by some mm-hmm. voice exercises that that uh, my voice coach that I talk to only once every four years, unfortunately. Mm-hmm. Uh, because, you know, I get to call, first of all, you know, I try to leave my emotions. It's very, very hard because obviously when you have your emotions running high, it tends to, you know, to get uh, your voice more tired. Uh, yeah. It's not very easy to to leave your emotions out of a World Cup game, uh, regardless whether it's Argentina, the U.S. or whoever. I mean, this is the World Cup. Uh, for us as broadcasters, it's exactly the same as for you players. Uh, I'm broadcasting the World Cup. So it's like a big, big game, regardless if it's, uh, I don't know, uh, whatever, Nigeria against Sweden in a Spanish TV network. That is a huge game. And I will, you know, uh, I have to be clever in the way I use my voice if I have a second game that day or if I have a double header the next day. But um, no, I don't take care of my voice uh, during the year because luckily and, you know, I knock on wood, I, I haven't needed to. But uh, obviously I am very conscious you know, sometimes I have it. Sometimes I don't have a, a strong voice to, to call a game. There are so many factors, you know, the way I eat the night before, the way I sleep the night before. Uh, that is crucial to, to having a robust uh, voice. But it's it's not only the goal goal. You know, the goal yeah. goal is a combination, like you say, of, of, um, of, of the play. It's just keeping people on the edge of their seats with – my enthusiasm and the build-ups to, to uh, uh, you know, to the goal and, and just being energetic uh, throughout the game is what really wears me out uh, usually on, on, on a game day. 
So in some ways, it's a bit like playing. The preparation is important. Your sleep, the rest, the training, the getting yourself ready, and then making sure you you're on form when when, when it's showtime in the big day. I, I want to move you to take you back to 1998. There was a certain um, Caribbean team that made it to the World Cup for the first time. The Reggae Boys. Um, I have to say, I, um, you know, I have great memories thinking back at the time through the qualifications, uh, the CONCACAF route. That was obviously a lot of games, quite difficult. We, we, we got there. And I remember the, the, the famous game in Paris against Argentina 1998. I believe you were around, may even have called that game for one of the broad, one of the networks. I was, and I am pretty sure I have, because as I told you, I, I've called every game. Your match against uh, Croatia was the first one, right? Yeah, first one, yeah. So I am I am 100% positive that I've called your goal. And I covered, uh-huh. obviously, I was uh, at the stadium for the Argentina-Jamaica game. Yes, I was. Yeah. Um, and I, this is, you know, incredible that, you know, now we're going to yeah. be a game together. We're looking together. Uh, yeah, you were commentating. I, 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 mean, I would have to check the uh, air checks and see what I said about <laughs> you. Yeah. I mean, I you hope it wasn't uh, anything too bad. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, you have that on. You yeah. Have pretty much covered in, on, on one play, I remember, I think. Oh, yeah. So I, I go back to those days. And um, I mean, it was a, it was a Argentina team stacked with talent. Uh, Veron, the Ortegas, the Batisuta got a hat trick up front. Um, and yeah, I was pretty much detailed to try and close down, get on and close down uh, Veron, stop his passing because he was basically running a game like a quarterback, getting it from midfield. And it was interesting. A couple of things stood, stood out to me when I played against him. One was there's levels in, 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 in football and soccer so that, you know, they, these good players, you can get to some, and then there's some that go above it. And, and he was, you know, maybe not seen as a, a world star, but I think people who knew the game realised what a talent he was. I don't think English football saw the best of him when he came to Manchester United at first and probably found, found it hard to kind of create the right personality that he had in, in Argentina, went to Chelsea. Um, but players who played with him, some of the players who trained with him, remember Dwight York at Manchester United saying he, he's an absolute like genius on the ball. Uh, right foot, left foot. I remember I tried to close him down on his right foot one time. He shifted the ball and hit a 20-yarder. So I thought, OK, strong on his right. I'll, I'll cut that off the next time. I shut him down on his right foot. He did exactly the same with his left foot. It was just yeah. like, he disarmed me with his ability. And, and um, I think these players like that, obviously the Messi's, the Ronaldo's, we, it's obvious. But there is a level of players like that who are just, you know, whatever they do, you, you cannot really stop them. Yeah, yeah, no, uh, La Brujita, we call him the uh, the witch, because his dad uh, was called the witch, and uh-huh. he is called the little witch. Um, uh-huh. He was so, so talented. I mean, Veron was so, so talented. Uh, unfortunately, he, he had a bad rap. I don't know if you know this story. He had a bad rap in Argentina, because since he played in England, uh, yeah. and we, you know, we lost to England in, in Sapporo, yeah. This is this is funny how you know many years later we can say that yeah. the guy that made the foul for the penalty was Mauricio Pochettino. The Pochettino, yeah. PSG, uh, yeah. PSG. yeah, Tottenham, yeah. Uh, and the, you know he he really had a bad rap in Argentina because they claimed that he didn't play all out against England because he was uh, you know playing in England and they didn't want to you know hurt his pocket, I guess. Um, but anyways, he was 
extremely talent, but talented. Out of that group, there is one player that stands out to me, which is, a, to me, one of the world's superstars, uh, strikers anyway. I mean, one of the top strikers in mm -hmm. the world, which was Batistuta. Yeah. Batistuta was unstoppable. Yeah. Right, right there with Marco Van Basten, uh, you know, around mm -hmm. his era. I mean, he was a terrific, terrific forward. So, yeah, Argentina had uh, really good, good players in that World Cup. I remember looking, I remember walking past Bastuti, he was in the tunnel. And the thing that struck me was what a beast of a man he was. He, he, his legs were, were pumped, his shoulders, he was square, he looked down and he, he just, I mean, whether he played the part and he did that well and got a hat-trick on the day, but just his physicality and, and his build and his presence was uh, was wonderful and, and, and did make him a, a great player. I believe now he's, he's, he has a form somewhere out in the, in the, in the rural parts of Argentina. He keeps very much away from the game. Um, he was a pundit for a while mm -hmm. uh, in Argentina. I guess he didn't like it that much. And uh, I've I read recently that he does want to get into the game either as coach oh. or as coach. But yeah, he's... Mm -hmm. uh, I think he has a farm. He he doesn't live yeah. in, in Buenos Aires, in the capital city. Mm -hmm. He's from Reconquista, so I think he, okay. he has a big farm there. Yes. Goes away. Just before we we move on to a little bit more current in in the Premier League and the, obviously the game we're going to call at the weekend. Just on Lionel Messi, um, as you talked about, he won his first major trophy with Argentina, the Copa America. How do you summarise his sort of career with Argentina? You talked about Maradona being the GOAT, but where, where does Messi fit? And do Argentina have a chance of winning the next World Cup? Maybe a little bit less pressure on them and they've got that trophy already? Um, I'm going to break it down this way. Uh, first, I'm going to answer like a coach. First, we have to qualify, uh, <laughs> which they're, yeah. they're good on their way to, to doing so. Um, before Copa America... I would tell you that I didn't think... I mean, Argentina, for me, always has a chance to win the World Cup because, I mean, I don't know if there's... I'm pretty sure there is, but the Argentinian players that put on the... I mean, they died to play on the national team. They died to play, you know, with the Argentinian uh, jersey on. Uh, I'm not sure every player in the world is worth... Uh, is, uh, wants to sacrifice so much... You have to understand that to play a World Cup qualifier, they have to fly, uh, you know, now they fly in private jets. But in another time, they, they flew, you know, 20 hours with two stops to to get to Argentina on a Tuesday, play on a Wednesday, get back to their teams on, on, on the weekend. They would, you know, do whatever it took to, to put on that Argentine shirt. And that sense of belonging that Argent the Argentine players have for the national team is unparalleled to none. Having said this, uh, you know, we lost th three finals in a row. The 2014 World Cup final and then the two Copa America finals to, to Chile. Yeah. Uh, and that was like a very heavy load to carry. I mean, we made it to the final again in Copa America in the summer. In Maracanã Stadium against Brazil, you know, our rivalry with Brazil is like probably the biggest rivalry in the world. And the fact that they won it, I think, took off so much weight off the shoulder of Messi because there are not really that many players that played in the other finals in this current team. 
So now Messi, I feel him, I feel he's liberated from the pressure of winning something. And the team is really playing much, much better. And, yeah. uh, you know, uh, as a matter of fact, I, I'm starting to like the chances that we might have in the mm -hmm. World Cup after all, uh, because yeah. they're really playing as a team. They're not yeah. Messi dependent per se. They're not, we're, you know, before the other teams were like, oh, let's give it to Messi and see what he yeah. comes up with. Yeah. Now they play more as a team and have Messi. So, yeah, yeah I, I, like, uh, I like their chances much, much better now. Yeah, be fitting for him to, to win a World Cup as, as he comes towards the end of his, his career. Can't talk with, about Messi without talking about his mate, uh, Ronaldo. We're going to be commentating on the game, 7.30 a.m. Eastern time on Peacock. Ronaldo's back at Manchester United. One, how surprised were you that the move happened? Two, how surprised are you in this start that he's made? Um, I don't know if I was surprised because players like that, um, it's like Guardiola said, uh, players like that are the ones that choose where to play. Messi and Cristiano, you know, yeah. they, they're so big. That uh, yeah, they they choose where where they they want to play. You know, there weren't too many teams that could afford him. That's the the reality. And obviously, there is a, also an emotional link of him going back to where he started his you know big career in in England and in Europe uh, after Sporting. But um, I am amazed at his work rate. I mean, nothing new really. Uh, I know he's 36, but he doesn't look it. He, he hasn't. Uh, I don't think he. He might have slowed down a little bit, but it doesn't show. It doesn't. He he, he hasn't looked slower to me. No. Because now he moves. Uh, before he used to run, you know, the 70 yards, uh, 70 meter sprints, recovering the ball back in in his own turf, and then going, you know, all the way to. To the other side now he's more focused on you know just a, a parcel of land with less space so you know his explosiveness is there as we could see by the uh his second goal at old trafford not not the rebound one but yeah, the one yeah. you know the through ball to him uh he left the defender just yeah. uh and he's great in the air he's he, he's a beast I mean, honestly, he's, he, it's such a pleasure uh, to, to see him play. And we are all, we, I, think, I think fans that are listening, uh, you know, they have the tendency to compare Cristiano, Messi, this yeah, and that. Yeah. Let's, I, mean, I think fans should enjoy. Yeah, exactly. Get to see them both. Just enjoy the both of them while, while they're going. And it's a, for me, I, as I watched him last week, I think it was a goal against West Ham. It's a testament to the quality of the, the level of fitness of his body and the level of fitness in his mind, because he thinks quicker than anybody else. He was the only person moving in the box when he's made the move and then the ball rebounds off the keeper. He, he, he's, his speed of thought is increasing as he's getting older, because maybe the legs are not quite as, as, as dynamic as they were. But um, you add that, his ability, his drive that he's given to Manchester United... Um, certainly makes him contender. Certainly makes for a good game that, that we've got coming up uh, uh, against Villa on on Saturday. Villa have got a couple of Argentinians in their ranks. Just one of them, Emi Martinez, Emi Buendia, 
Uh, Buendia was somebody I, I really liked at Noise. I think it's good business uh, for Aston Villa. And Martinez was, I always felt, the best goalkeeper at Arsenal that Arsenal let go instead of Bert Leno. I agree. I mean, this is the typical case, and you know it better than anybody, where, uh, you know, sometimes players don't get their chances and the the coaches or or goalkeeper coaches in this case don't realize what a gem they have. Uh, Martinez, has, last year at Aston Villa, was outstanding. I don't know if he was the best uh, keeper in the league. Um, and yet, you know, he and he was outstanding every time he played the, the cups for for Arsenal, yeah. uh, and it's you know a tribute to his uh, resilience for just hanging around. He was I think he changed clubs what seven eight different times. Even though yeah. Arsenal uh, had his transfer, uh, he played in Spain, went back to England, went back to Spain, and now obviously um, you know he is the I wouldn't say the the commanding figure of the Aston Villa. Uh, team, but obviously a, a guarantee that um, you know they're in good hands with with him. Yeah. He's he's a, a great keeper, and the fact that he was instrumental as well in uh, Argentina's quest to to win the, the Copa America, mm-hmm. but you know brought him obviously to to the next level as well. So uh, and Emiliano Buendia, I can't tell you much about him. Um, I haven't seen him play that that much. Uh, we will see now if he plays uh, on Saturday against... Uh, yeah, against Manchester United. Very clever, good technical, finds good spaces between the lines, was excellent in, uh, for Norwich, did well in the Championship. And I thought it was good business. There was talk that Arsenal were after him uh, in, in the summer and, and Aston Villa actually went and did their business early. I think Villa knew they were losing Jack Grealish, knew they were getting the money in and um, made a really good signing. So, yeah, looking forward to seeing him. Uh, a couple more just before I let you go. Marcelo Bielsa's kind of taking the Premier League by storm with his personality, with the, his team, with the way he plays. He's a guy who signs one-year contracts, doesn't tie himself down too long, has a defined way of playing with his team that I think the Premier League have enjoyed, that the Premier League uh, have embraced. Uh, they've almost become a lot of people's second team. That's the, the appeal of the man in the football club. Um Tell us what you know you know about Bielsa. And there is a bit of talk, people suggesting that maybe he needs to change or twa- tweak his, his defensive setup. And there's others who say, listen, this is Bielsa, this is how he goes. Maybe stubborn's not the right word, but he has a very defined way of playing, and that's the way he's going to do it. Uh, he even admitted that he's very stubborn, and he's not going to change now. Uh, mm-hmm. Not a chance. He's going to play the way he thinks he, he has to play. He really believes that he his teams need to take risks, no matter who they play. It doesn't matter if they play Liverpool at Anfield or, you know, Burnley at home. Uh, I, I I always say on my broadcast in Spanish that uh, this leads under Bielsa can win, tie or lose, but it will for surely entertain the audience. Mm-hmm. Uh, I like the way they're playing. They have a very thin group of of players. I mean. You know, you get two defenders out and you have to improvise uh, yeah. somebody uh, in, in the back. Field players, yeah. Yeah, yeah. I mean, Phillips played centre-back and then they had mm-hmm. to put Shackleton, you know, in the cup because... Field, yeah. yeah. Uh, so, uh, I guess he's happy. This is the longest tenure that he's yeah. ever had at the club or national team level. He never coached 
for almost three years, the same team, two and a half years. Uh, he's happy at Leeds, even though he, I believe he speaks English. I believe he understands. Yeah, more. English. Yeah, I, I get the sense. Yeah. But, you know, little... I'm going to tell you something, which is uh, the audience uh, should know. He is very, um, everything that comes out of his mouth in Spanish is very, very profound. It's not the typical, well, we yeah. are working this and that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, he articulates so well every single phrase that he gives out in Spanish that, first of all, it's a nightmare for his uh, translator. Yeah, uh, yeah. He's got a hardest job in football. <laughs> yeah, yeah, most, most definitely. <laughs> But what I'm trying to say is that since he's so detailed on everything he says in Spanish, that even though he might uh, be able to go to a restaurant and order, you know, dinner in English and talk to his players in the locker room in English, yeah, uh, he is, doesn't feel comfortable going out to the press and speaking in, in English. Mm -hmm. But I'm pretty sure he understands, you know, most of it. So, yeah, uh, it's, it's tough that they haven't won a game yet. Uh, I hope they... They win their first Premier League game, um, you know, as, as, as soon as possible, uh, just to get that out of the way and, and start, you know, their, their season. I, I thought they had a chance to Europe last, last year. Yeah, yeah, I think we all did. Mm. Yeah, yeah. Doesn't quite happen. Finally, just before we wrap up, I just wanted to get your thoughts uh, around Raul Jimenez, who um, came into the, the Premier League with Wolves, uh, finished two seventh-place finishes, Scoreless in his first five matches since he's come back now into the Premier League, but since that horrific head injury he had with David Luiz back in, in November, um, fractured skull. And I thought there was something quite interesting last week. Late on in the game, Traore goes down the, the wing for Wolves, puts in one of those lovely Traore crosses. And Jimenez, although the game was at 2-0, I think it was Watford they were down, but he has a, a, a chance to head to goal and, and the header goes wide of the post. And it was a real kind of... Very typical Jimenez opportunity in goal, and as he as he picked himself up, he ripped off his his protective head sort of um, band that he's been wearing, and and threw it to the ground. Now I don't know if that was just frustration with missing the chance, maybe that his timing wasn't quite right, or in some respects that that this sort of protective uh, headband he's wearing he's not feeling comfortable with. I just was interested in somebody who's, who's known him and watched his career. Just wondered, you know, is it, are we seeing maybe something that's psychological? Maybe there's a little bit of a mental uh, effect of, of the kind of horrific injury that he, he faced on his head? I'm pretty sure there is. I mean, I, I have to speak for myself. I, I cannot speak for him because uh, yeah. I don't know what he he's going through. But after such a traumatic injury, and this is not, you know, a ligament issue, a muscle injury, Uh, as the doctors told him, I mean, he yeah. is lucky to to be alive, uh, honestly. Mm -hmm. That was a very traumatic head, but if you can call it that, it took him a while to get back to training. And, you know, I'm pretty sure that what he did uh, with his protective gear was a sense of frustration. First, that he didn't score the goal. Second, that, you know, it was a a clear reminder of what he had gone through because I don't know if he would have headed it in without the protective gear or not. 
but um, I don't think he's 100% much fit yet. I think it's going to take him, you know, a, a few games more. I really think he's a terrific player, not only a goal scorer. I mean, look at the way he plays. He starts plays at, at midfield and finish, yeah. finishes them on on the other side. And even though, you know, the, the graphic says that uh, he's scoreless through five uh, Premier League matches, uh, and so is Wolverhampton. You know, what? Mm. What? They, I think they scored two goals and one one was an own goal. Own goal. Yeah. yeah. So it's obviously, I know that he's, he had scored under Nuno, I believe. I don't have the, the exact figure, but I believe it was like 40% of their goals. Yeah. Uh, so you would expect him now to be at the same rate, but the team, for some reason, uh, is not, you know, getting the Ws. Uh, mm-hmm. So it's not strictly his fault, but I really hope that uh, he gets back to match fitness, to 100% match fitness. I, I don't think he he has that relationship with the ball that he used to have, where you know he was quick and 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 could control the, the tempo of the game. Now I think he's still adjusting to to the way he plays. And especially, I mean, it's it's very good. I, I love the fact that he wasn't afraid to, to head the ball. Yeah, uh, yeah. Uh, again, I speak for myself. With such a traumatic injury, uh, I don't know if I would have played. I, I don't know if I would be brave enough to go uh, yeah. you know, up in the air on a 50-50 ball. Yeah. It's, yeah, I'm with you. I mean, you know, I, I feel you feel I'm kind of wincing for him as he's jumping in the air, and, and we didn't have the injury. But um, I think they're, they're sorting things out. Bruno Lodge, apparently, you know, they, they, their football's been good. I've seen a couple of the games; they've created good chances, haven't quite put them away. But um, I'm sure with with, with with Jimenez, he's one of those. He gets one, I think, then he starts flowing, and, and the rest are going to come. But um, listen, Andros, we're going to have to wrap it up there. It's been an absolute pleasure. Uh, to speak with you today, get an understanding of your broadcasting, your views on the games. I look forward to working with you on Saturday. We've got the Peacock match at 7.30am Eastern Time, Manchester United host Aston Villa. And then after that, I'm going to have to put up with a game, my miserable Mr. Muster. We'll do our podcast on Sunday, that's September the 26th, and we'll look back at match week six with all the fascinating fixtures that are going to be played. But for now, I'm Earl, he's Cantor. I think this was an upgrade on the two Robbies. Thanks for watching and listening. Be safe, be healthy. It's a good night from him. He, it's a good night from him. Good night. Reese's peanut butter cups are the greatest, but let me play devil's advocate here. Let's see. So, no, that's a good thing. Uh, <laughs> that's definitely not a problem. Uh, Reese's, you did it. You stumped this charming devil. At Bet365, we don't do ordinary. We believe that every sport should be epic. Every basket, every game, every point, every play. From the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar. Whether it's a three-pointer at the buzzer to tie the game or a player that goes two for two at the foul line. Whatever the sport, whatever the moment. It's never ordinary at Bet365. 21 plus only. Must be present in Virginia. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. Terms and conditions apply.